0: Proverbs 18:1 says it this way: Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire; he breaks out against all sound judgment. Uh, the The thing that we need to hear is: It's impossible to live a life that's not foolish. If you stay in isolation, if you stay in isolation, you're going to walk in foolish ways. You're going to walk in destructive ways. You're going to walk in ways that don't give the most abundant life God intends you to live because you are not designed to live in isolation. You are not designed to walk this life alone. You were meant to be in relationship. In fact, if we go back to the very beginning, you remember I kicked the series off. Starting with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That was our very first message. And I asked the question, how can we know if we're walking in the fear of the Lord? And we said we're going to be teachable. It means we're willing to submit to God's word. We're going to be repentant, which means we're willing to turn from things that we've looked at instead of looking to God for direction, for help, for all that we need. We're going to to be a people who are surrendered, which means we're willing to take our lives and say, God, it's yours. All of our lives are yours. Do what you want with them. But then the last part is we're going to be submitted. We're going to be submitted in relationship to people who also are walking in the fear of the Lord and can bring wisdom to bear on our life. And so I want us to hear this morning that if you want to have wisdom in finances, wisdom at work, wisdom that's able to rest from work, wisdom that's engaging and caring for your heart and your soul through silence and solitude and prayer and being in the Word of God, you cannot do that in isolation. In fact, I've met a lot of people who are like, yeah, you know, I hear from God, and then what I hear them say is like stuff that God would not say. And then you realize they haven't been looking at the word of God to clarify, is this what God would say? And they haven't been doing it in community so others can say, hey, I think you're hearing things. Like this, this is not from the Lord, because the Lord doesn't lead you to do stuff that's contrary to his word. And the the reason why we need friends in our life that know and love God and fear Him is because sometimes we need to have people say, you're not walking in wisdom, and I want to help you. And we all need this. To not is to seek your own desire. It breaks out against all sound judgment. To live in isolation is contrary to the way God made you. In fact, in the very beginning, when God creates, you remember He says, He creates day one, it's good. Day two, it's good. Day three, it's good. Day four, it's good. Day five, it's good. Day six, little pause in there. Man created and out of man, he's going to create somebody. But before he does that, he says, it's not good that man is alone. So I have to create a helper suitable to man, and he creates man's best friend. And you see the first marriage, husband and wife, right there in the very beginning. And God designed you and I to not be alone. And the reason why is not just because God thinks marriage is good, don't miss it, it's not just men and women, it's also male friends, female friends, because friendship at the very core represents and, and images what our God is like. Our God has existed forever, eternally, in community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, never in isolation, perfect community, perfect communion, perfect friendship. And you were made in the image of God to exist in a way that not only reflects God, but is like God. And so if you think you can have an abundant, full life and not live in community and not have friendship, you're fooling yourself. In fact, anybody who believes that will live a life that will lead ultimately to destruction and ruin, emotionally, spiritually, physically, in every way. We all need friendship. We all need significant friendship. And the th- three things I want to talk about today as we talk about friendship is we, we need sticky friends. Okay, we'll get to that in a sec. We need friends who can wound us and we need friends who forgive us. First of all, sticky friends. Let's go to verse 24, the end of the chapter. He starts off saying, it's crazy to live in isolation. Let's talk about where you should be. Verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a, fa- a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Before we go very far in friendship, let's be clear, there is a significant difference between having many companions who seem to be like friends but don't stick together and having a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I, I, uh, I was one of the guys that grew up thinking having more was better. Uh, I'm a bit of an extrovert, but some of my extroversion when I was younger was a way of, kind of gaining a sense of approval or significance. So the more people I could have around me that thought I was okay, the better I felt about myself. And so it's like having lots of companions felt like a win. But the problem was, if I read this, just having many companions doesn't equal health. In fact, just having a lot, having a lot of companions and no friends will lead to ruin in your life. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother a true friend sticks here's the deal you don't get to choose your relatives do you you're stuck with them some of you're going like that's good some of you going that's not been good uh you're stuck with your your relatives but you stick with your friends and there's a difference because I'm obligated to be with my family now I love my family I have three brothers love my mom and dad. They're, I really am blessed to have a great family. Very thankful for that. Janie's family as well, and together we have some great relationships, but we're, we're in a sense obligated to those relationships. I, I know a shift that took place for me and my younger brother, who's 15 months younger than me, was when he became my friend and not just my brother. When when I wanted to be with him, when I wanted to stick with him, when I wanted to devote my heart to him, when I wanted to care for him, and I feel that way with all my brothers, but he in particular and I, we, we became pretty close through a season of events that drew our hearts towards one another. And I know the difference between a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, I've also realized that in order for me to have a friend that sticks closer to a brother, I have to be a friend who will stick. I have to actually want a friendship. I have to actually pursue friendship. I have to desire friendship. I have to be devoted to friendship. I can't have a friend that sticks if i'm not willing or wanting to be a friend who sticks and in order to do that not only do i need to have a commitment to stick not just be obligated to but a desire to stick close stick close john's john 15 15 which donald already read i want to read again jesus speaking to his disciples says no longer do i call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but i've called you friends Key phrase here, for all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Friendship reveals the heart. Friendship reveals self to the other. Friendship is self-revelatory. That I'm saying, I want you to know me. I want you to be known by me. I want us to know each other. Not just the, the side-by-side friendship that many have, but the face-to-face friendship. The face-to-heart friendship that you were long, longing for, that you were made to long for, that you desire. And I love this. Jesus, after he says, I've revealed this to you. I've showed you everything. I've made known to you all that I know from the Father. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And he, he's saying, I'm a sticky friend who chose you. I want you. I want to be with you. And I want to reveal to you my heart. I want you to know what the Father's like by knowing what I'm like. We, 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 first of all, before we go any further, I just want to encourage you. You have a, a God who wants to be your friend. Jesus wants to make friendship real in your life. He, he reveals everything about himself through his spirit to you and through his word. He wants you to be close to God. You know, I, I had a hard time with friendship for many, many years. I, I'm still growing in this, I'll be honest. If you ever asked Janie, and I was there one time, and she, someone asked her, "Tell us about how your marriage has been." And I think we were 15 years in when this question was asked. We're now 23 years in. Praise God! It's a huge blessing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We should always be excited about that. And Janie really is my best friend. But I, I will say that. In the early years, when I remember her, her describing to some people, said, "So tell us about your marriage." She said, "Yeah, year one, that was pretty bad, and year two, I think that was worse, and year three, oh, that was horrible." And so she just kept going up to about year seven. You know, I'm like, "Man, it stinks to be married to me." <laughs> but here's the problem: the reason why is because I didn't know how to be a friend. And here's the, just let me say this to you: if you're married. If you just think, I'm just, we're just obligated to one another because we made a covenant vow, then you, you're acting like you're stuck instead of that you stick. And there's a difference. There's a difference between saying, I, I want you as my friend. I want you to know my heart. I want to be together with you, heart to heart, face to face, shoulder to shoulder, hand to hand. We are in this life together as friends. I'm not stuck. I'm going to stick. I'm committed. And I want it. Some of you, by the way, men in particular, if you're married, I want to speak to you. If you were like me, for me it was like, you know, getting married was all about like winning the prize, right? It's like the rings on the finger, the wedding day happened, okay, next challenge in life, right? And then you get kids, and that, that's a really fun one. And I love my kids, but I'm still being challenged every day on how to be a good dad, That's like an ongoing challenge, but if you're not careful, you moved away from pursuing your spouse, and you moved on to the next thing, and you left her or him in your wake. And you started out acting like friends so you could win the heart, and then you ran away from each other's hearts, and you're just obligated. If I, could, if I could just beg of you, all those that are married here today, that you would pursue one another like you originally did when you first met and you would chase after each other's hearts and you'd be real friends who stick together and stick close enough to be revealed, to be known, to have nothing hidden from the other. And one of the reasons why our marriage wasn't good in the early years is because I was too insecure to let someone know my heart. So I just protected it and kept it close. And I, didn't let, I didn't let my wife in. I didn't let Janie know me. I didn't share the real struggles, the real hurts, the real pains, the real longings. And, and I was so insecure that when we were together and Janie and I would read the Bible together and she'd share a great insight. As you guys know, my wife was very wise and godly and a couple weeks ago you got to hear from some of the wisdom God's put in her life. It's just rich. But I was too, just to be honest, too dumb. Yeah, and too insecure and too fearful to acknowledge that I needed her. And so she would say things like, Jeff, what about this? And she would share something from God's word. And instead of going like, oh my goodness, I've never seen that before. That, you have so much I need to learn from. My first response was, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I knew that. And that was like, I mean, at one point she's like, sounds like you know everything. <laughs> right? And here's one of the things I do when I'm sitting down with a couple that wants to get married. And you got an opportunity, by the way, this Thursday night to get some preparation for marriage. And by the way, it's not just for those who are going to get married. It's for some of you that are married and need to have a refresher about how to be friends again, how to pursue one another, how to love one another like God has loved you in Christ. So some of you are going like, that's only for premarriage." No, some of you need it. But one of the the things that I I, I know for me is I I needed to, to acknowledge that I need my wife. I need a friend like that. And so when I'm sitting down with a couple getting them prepared for marriage, one of the first things I'll ask is, tell me why you need her. I especially do it to the guys, because I think a lot of the guys are like, man, she needs me. And you're going, no, 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 (laughs) no. Let's just be clear. You're a mess. You really need her in a lot more ways than you realize. Man, I want you to hear that. If If you think that primarily you got married but you're not in need, I'm telling you, God gave you somebody because you are deeply in need of a friend who knows you better than anybody else and can speak to the realities of your heart if you share it with them. Not just men, women, and not just married people. All of us need to have these kinds of friendships where people really see us, where they really know us. See, we don't just need... Sticky friends who are close, but we need sticky friends who are close that draw out the heart. Listen to Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. Talked about that last week, the importance of paying attention to our hearts, not only guarding them and keeping watch over them, but examining them and keeping close watch on what's happening with them. And someone who has... Wisdom understands that, that our, our hearts are deep. They're deep waters. that You don't just see and look and, and, and quickly observe all that's in them. You have to get into them. You've got to go deep into them. You've got to draw out, which is what he says next. But a man of understanding will draw it out. The man of understanding will pull out the heart. will say, what's deep inside? How do I help you get out what's in so that we can see what's happening in you? Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. What he's saying is we need to have friendships that are willing to draw out the heart, that are willing to go to the depths of what's unseen and pull out of what's unseen so it can be seen and we can look at it and say, what's going on inside of you? Man, i found especially this is hard for us. To to have male friendships that go deep. Because here's how most of our male friendships operate. Side-by-side side watching a, a TV screen, side-by-side side at a football game or soccer game, side-by-side side working uh, on a project, and very little face-to-face. In fact, some of you are like, I don't even want to look at another guy's face. It's a little, you know, weird. You know, look deep into my eyes kind of stuff, right? I, I, I love one of, one of our elders was in a situation where he, he was trying to speak to one of the men in his group, and he, he just said, you know, like, you're precious to God, and a bunch of us were a little uncomfortable with that word, precious. You know, like like a man shouldn't say someone else is precious, but the scriptures clearly say we are, but why are we so uncomfortable with that is because we don't know how to be friends. We don't know how to reveal heart. We don't know how to speak stuff to the heart that God deeply wants us to hear from Him. I had. It's taken me years to learn how to be a friend. In fact, a few years ago, I had one of my now, dear friends, who knows me really well, knows my heart really well, knows what's going on in my life, Janie knows me really well, better than anybody else, I, I, I continue to ask God to not let me keep anything from my wife, I want her to know everything about me, because I, I want to I live naked and unashamed with my wife, but I have a couple other guy friends who know a lot about me, and one of them is Abe, you heard him speak to you guys a few months ago, and uh, I remember him sitting down saying, Jeff, you're not a very good friend, You're not a good friend. I don't know that you know how to be a friend. As he said that, I thought, man, I think he's right. I have a lot of companions. I didn't have a lot of friends. And I don't know that we need to have a lot of friends, but I think we need to have a few. We need Guys, you need a couple guys who know you in your life, drawing out the deep waters of your heart. Women, you need it too. We all do. Someone who will stick close and draw out the heart. But keep in mind, as we do it, we're going to have to take time. In fact, one of the things I've found is that one of the reasons why we don't have good friends is because they take a lot of time. How many of you work out a few times a week? You can tell that I do. <laughs> Jay's like, You don't lately? <laughs> I haven't been lately. Why do you do that? Why do you make time? to work out because you care about the physical fitness of your body. You want, hopefully, to live long. Some of you, it's because you wanna look better. I'm not so concerned about that as much as I want my heart to keep beating as long as God wants it to so I can serve him as long as I can. And so I wanna take care of my, light, my heart so that that's why I'm gonna work out. Why do I make time to work out? Because I care about my body. Why should we take time for friendship? Because you care about your soul. You, you, you're gonna come to ruin if you don't make time for friendship. And it can't just be passing. It's got to be face-to-face, heart-to-heart, drawing out the deep waters of the soul. So that means I have to move beyond just saying, hey, how you doing? Fine. How are you? Fine. Right, that's the most of it. In fact, I would would bet that most of us, when we say, how are we doing, we're not really wanting more than a one-word statement. Because if I I go, how are you doing? And you go, oh, let me tell you. And you're like, oh, bummer. That's not what I was hoping for. That was just an obligatory kind of like, how are you doing statement. I didn't really mean it. You're acting like I care. How are you doing? It's been a hard week. Oh, yeah, me too. All right, well, we'll see you next week, <laughs> right? I mean, for most of us, we're like, uncomfortable, you know, and I know especially like, not just our church, but the east side, it's like, this is like introvert heaven, right? So it's like, uh, 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 I think it's getting serious. But here's what I want you to hear, especially introverts here. You know how to care for the heart. Don't give in to fear. In some cases, you're better at it than people like me, who just runs from relationship to relationship. And you're going, that's, that's not. I can't handle lots of people. Can I just have one or two? Yes, please do. And lead the way for some of us who don't. Teach us. How to draw out the heart and ask the questions. I mean, I love being with Dave Cox because I know when he asks me, how are you doing, he's not going to end. He's going to ask, how's your marriage? And what are you thinking? And are you too busy? And do you take a a break? I mean, he's going to keep going and mining my heart. That's a great elder we have in our church. So thankful for that. And he doesn't have to. He's got a plenty busy life working at Microsoft and having... His beautiful family, he's loving and leading and being a part of helping to shepherd many in the flock. I mean, but he slows down. And I, let me just give you a couple hints here. You gotta slow down and get past this first statement and go after the heart by asking questions like, so tell me, like, how are you feeling lately? Have you ever had someone say something like this to you and they go, you go, how you doing? You're like, well, I just feel like you're against me. That's usually quick if that happens, but let's say they do. Do you ever stop and go, that's not a feeling? Say we're going to mind the depths of the heart. If, I, if, I, if someone goes, I just feel like you're against me, or I just feel like God doesn't love me, I just feel like we're, the world's crashing in, that's not a feeling, that's a belief or a thought. I think certain things about the world, I believe certain things about God, but I feel an emotion. And I'm amazed at how often we, especially maybe it's the Northwest, maybe it's just, you know, people call this the Seattle, the Seattle freeze. Like we just, we're just we cold, we don't know how to let our hearts out. Maybe it's just easier to use feeling language to mask our beliefs and our thoughts because we can't get to the feeling, the heart. You know, what, what if it's like, hey, how are you doing? Well, I, I'm feeling abandoned. Wait a minute. Or I'm, I'm feeling you're against me. Wait a minute. Do you believe I'm against you? No, but that's how I feel. That's not how you feel. That's what you think. What do you feel? I feel rejected. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I feel hopeless. Why? Let's get after the belief or the thought under the feeling. But we flip it around, right? I feel like you're against me is a way of saying I'm too afraid to tell you you've really hurt me. Or I feel very hurt or wounded. some of you are going to like, Jeff just became our counselor again last week. I thought last week was over. The heart is done. Can we move on? No. No. The Holy Spirit cares about how you feel. The Bible is filled with emotion language. We know what God feels because it's all in here. He's disappointed at times. He's angry. Sometimes he's elated, overwhelmed with joy. I mean, there's emotions all the way through the word of God. Don't just go intellectual and shut off your heart. And be a good friend and draw the heart out. And some of you are going like, you don't understand. There's a lot of wounds in there. And not only do friends stick with us, but friends lovingly wound us. Lovingly wound us. To be clear, there's a big difference between friends that harm and friends that wound. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Uh, there are, there's a way of being a companion to a bunch of fools who we get hurt by. That's, the diff- that's different than what I'm talking about. Friends lovingly wound, but foolish companions harm us. They, they lead us to destructive things. I, in my early years prior to coming to faith, I was a companion of fools. And you know how you, you could, you know you're a companion of fools because they don't care whether the behavior you're engaged in actually hurts you or not. At the end of the day, they're just concerned about themselves. And the craziness about the relationships I had in my early days is that we were all hurting each other together and we didn't care. And I look back at those early days apart from Jesus walking in the camp, of companion of fools without wise counsel and friends who stick closer than a brother, draw out my heart and are willing to lovingly wound me. And I realize that I experienced a ton of sinful damage and destruction in my life because of the companions I walked with. But see, some of you are going like, see, that's why I won't have a friend, because they hurt you. But don't swing the pendulum away from a companion of fools that brings much harm, away from no friendship at all. Because there is a friend who sticks closer to to you than a brother, and that friend will speak truthfully to you. And that truth hurts in the right way. Proverbs 28, 27. Twenty-eight, twenty-three says, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. 27, 5 through 6 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I don't need any more friends to tell me what I want to hear. I don't need flattery I don't need a kiss from an enemy who secretly has a lot against me. I don't don't need someone to come to me and keep me away from what I need to hear. I need a rebuke from a loving friend who's full of grace and kindness and cares enough about me to say what I need to hear. I need that. Now, to be clear, there's one in the Proverbs called the scoffer. The scoffer's the one who only rebukes everyone else but never needs a rebuke because they feel like they believe they're always right. In fact, it says, don't rebuke a scoffer or he will heap abuse on you. So I just want to be clear. I'm not saying, okay, Docs of Church, let's just go out and rebuke everybody. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. Nor am I saying rebuke everybody who wants it. Because if you're not a close friend who sticks with somebody and draws out the heart, then you're gonna become that person who walks around and goes, every time I see something wrong, I just gotta call it out, that's just who I am. You know, every church needs one of those. No, we don't. Okay, can I just be honest? We don't need you to do that. Stick close to a, a friend like a brother, give him your heart so that you can receive a rebuke and you can give one. And those are the kinds of people who bring the right right kinds of wounds because they know what it feels like to have a hard word spoken with gentleness and grace and they know it's really tough. And so then they know when they bring it to someone else, they're walking with great care and great compassion and great grace. We don't need flattery. We don't need empty rebukes. We need wounds of a friend who dearly love us. Some of you might go like, I have a hard time speaking truthfully to one another. Usually there's a variety of reasons. One, it might be that you've never seen it done with love and grace. Maybe that's why. And you're just like, I just, it's, not, it's never been good news. The wound that cuts to the heart to bring healing to the soul has never, has never been good in my story. And I pray that the Lord might redeem your story to help you see there are friends who can love well and speak truth with grace in ways that feel like a wound, but heal the soul. And there may be others you who go, I don't want to say it because the truth is, if I'm going to be really honest, what I'm most concerned about when I go to speak to someone who needs to hear something from me is what they'll think of me. And so really, I love myself more than I love them. And brothers and sisters, I want us to be a church full of real friends that stick close, that draw out the deep waters of the soul, that wound with love Maybe, maybe you're going like I don't, you don't understand, Jeff. My story makes that hard because so I just haven't experienced that before. Please know the difference between walking in a companion of, with, as a companion of fools and the walking with a friend who sticks closer than a brother and speaks the truth in love in a way that wounds, so the soul can be healed. Please know the difference. The one, the end outcome has no care for your own health or your soul. The other cares enough for your soul and your, your health that they're willing to do whatever it takes to help you get healthier. I liken it to a dentist that I used to go to when I was a kid. I had this dentist. You guys ever see, you saw second Willy Wonka movie? Remember Will, Willy's dad? That was my first dentist. Okay, so not literally, I don't mean that. You guys know the difference, right? So figuratively, I, I remember going to this dentist and I grew up in Michigan where they didn't have fluoride in the water. And I probably ate a little bit too much candy. So, kids, you got a bunch of candy yesterday. Be careful unless you want this story to happen to you. No, I'm kidding. That's just parents tell your kids I was kidding. It was a joke. And you can disagree if you want to go, no, he means it. Uh, but I would go to the dentist a lot to get drilled on a lot. And I, every time i go to the dentist's office, the dentist would go, yep, we found a cavity. And I just would freak out. Because what that meant was that our dentist was about to not give me any painkiller while he drilled my mouth. I'm not kidding, never. I would sit there gripping, I'm sure that my fingerprints are in that chair. Like FBI could find Jeff's identification in that chair because I gripped it so hard and he'd say, it's not worth giving you any painkiller because it's gonna be so quick. You, just, you, could, you could deal with it, right? I'm like, no, you can deal with it, no. <laughs> like so, literally I'm like on the chair while they're drilling. It's like And every time it hit a nerve, you're like Aah! Right? You know what I'm talking about? No, you didn't, because you didn't have my dentist. Okay? So don't even act like you know what you're talking about, because this was horrible, and this guy shouldn't be doing, he's probably dead now. Like, God be gracious on his soul, but when it hurt, and I remember, like, from that point on, I'm like, I don't ever want to go to a dentist again. I'll lose all my teeth. It's okay. I'll get fake teeth that will never need to be drilled on ever again. Just take them all out. I mean, that's, That's what I wanted because the pain of the dentist was too severe. But then I grew up and I met this amazing dentist who like, like it's amazing. They can numb your mouth before they put the numb in your mouth. Did you know that? You know, a little swab there. You can't feel it. Then a little prick, hardly anything. And then they can drill. And you're like, I'm watching ESPN while it's happening. You know, like this is a whole different world. That's the wound of a friend. The wounded friend has a little prick, there's a little bit, there is some pain there, but they, they, they do it graciously, they come alongside and go, I'm not here to cause pain, I'm here to give life. I don't take joy in someone being hurt by me. I take joy in them not losing their teeth. I take joy in them not losing their marriage, not losing their job, not losing their soul. That's what I'm about. And so I will apply the grace of the gospel, before I bring the wound, I'll remind them who they are in Christ. I'll remind them how dearly they're loved by God the Father. I'll remind them they don't need to be defensive because we have a defender before us right before God the Father right now, an advocate. They don't have to protect themselves because he is there and I'm with him and we're in this together and I love them. Doxa, I want us to be the kind of church that is that kind of church that's friendly enough to speak the truth in love. But you know what gonna requires? It's gonna require a grace culture that's saturated with love for one another, love for God that cares enough about each other that we're going to speak the truth. Proverbs 27, 17 reminds me that not only do I want someone to speak the truth because it'll help me get better, but it'll also help me get sharper. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. This is the kind of friendship that I want. You guys all see the movie A Few Good Men? Remember Jack Nicholas in that courtroom scene as it gets finally gets heated and they're pressing him on all the issues, he goes, you don't want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Remember that one? <laughs> Somebody just went like, yeah, that's, uh, I don't wanna go back there again, thanks a lot. <laughs> Well, did you, do you know the backstory of that is there was a cover-up for many years of what was going on that was so broken in the military, and finally it was coming out, and it was coming out in such a way that it was so bad because it had never been dealt with that it was almost too difficult to even pay attention to and dress. And for some of us, like, we're just like, I don't want the truth, I don't want the truth, I don't want the truth, but there's going to be a day when it's going to go boom on you, and you're going to say, man, I wish I could have handled the truth because I don't want to blow up. I can handle the truth, even if it hurts, because I know when someone loves me and speaks truthfully to me as a friend, not only does it deal with the brokenness in my life, but it'll lead to me not only being healthy, but sharper than I ever was before. I need friends like this. You need friends like this. But here's the thing I've realized. If you're gonna have that kind of friendship, get ready, you will need friends who can forgive. You'll need friends who can forgive. Forgive. Because I'll tell you what, when someone points out something wrong in me, I need grace. I need grace to hear it. This is why I keep saying I want us to grow as a grace culture. A grace culture is one that believes that the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient for everything. That that he lived a perfectly submitted life before God the Father so that I, when I don't, have one who did. And therefore when I fail, I throw myself on the one who perfectly obeyed. And a grace culture believes so much in the reality of the cross, that when Jesus really did die on the cross, he took on all of our sin, past, present, and future, and he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, and he meant it. And so then we can look at one another and go, I'm gonna lead you to Jesus, where you can receive grace for your failures, where you can look to the cross for your sin, where you can hear a hard word because the hard word doesn't define you, but Jesus, the living word does where you can know that that you don't have to defend yourself when the truth comes out because you have a defender before God the Father. That's the kind of culture I want for us. I want us to be the kind of people who are like, I'm not afraid to fail because I have a group of friends who love me enough that even when I fail, they'll love me to the cross, and then they'll remind me of the grace, and they'll build me up again in Christ. They're not here to tear me down. I'm not a companion of fools. I have friends who stick close, who speak truth, who draw out, and more than anything, speak Jesus to me. Proverbs 17, 9 says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. One of the greatest gifts a friend can offer is forgiveness. Forgiveness. The deepest affections I've felt from my friend Janie are when I've sinned against her and she's forgiven me. It's the deepest affections I've felt when I know I've deeply wounded her and she has, by God's grace, offered forgiveness to me. On the other hand, some of the greatest damage I know i brought about in my own life is when I repeat the offense, when I someone hurts me and then I go tell a bunch of other people about it. Because not only do I hurt my friendship, but I bring a whole bunch of other people into the brokenness that we experienced. And I hurt many friends. A few weeks ago, Janie and I were talking about a friend of mine who I've been hurt by. And in the middle of it, Haley spoke up. She said, Dad, I don't think you should talk about him that way. And I was like, little wound. But the right one, she was right. I was deeply convicted about my sin in that moment. I was so thankful that my 13-year-old daughter is growing up in a household of grace where she can speak the truth to her dad about his sin. And I said, I'm sorry, you're right. Please forgive me. She was helping me to live out this passage, right? That, that, Whoever covers an offense seeks love. She was pushing me to seek love. Not to to repeat the offense, but to seek love for my friend. Now, I, I want to be clear. She wouldn't feel comfortable doing that if we didn't have a household that acknowledged our need for Jesus and grace regularly. Just to be clear. I'm not trying to take credit, I'm just saying she's watched her mom and dad fail plenty times and go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and to acknowledge it to our kids. Mom and dad, I want to ask you, do you want to train up your kids to be the kinds of friends to other people who can speak the truth in love? You've got to create a grace culture where you can acknowledge that you need that yourself from them. Where you can acknowledge when you failed and you can say, please forgive me, here's an area, I've, I've blown it. And by God's grace, We're getting there as a family. The Vanderstelt household is getting there. We're getting better at it. But that, to me, was a victory moment in my daughter's life. I thought, man, I want her to be that kind of friend to her friends. She's doing it to her dad. I hope she does it to her friends. I hope she does it with her husband someday. I hope you want that. Do you want that? Well, how do you get that? You have to seek love, okay? You don't get this kind of friendship without a kind of love that enables this kind of friendship to exist, and the only kind of love that enables a friendship like this to exist is the love of God the Father for you. It's it's a God who says, I will be your friend when you are my enemy. Romans 5, 8, this is how you know God's love for you, that while you were sinners, Christ died for you. When you were born into a rebellious state against the living God of the universe, God sent his only Son, and Jesus willingly submitted his life for you and I so that we might be, Come, friends of God. Friends of God. Not far away, not distant, not I've got to make it up to you, not I'm, I'm cowering because I don't think you are for me. No, a friend of God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. And the beauty of coming to faith in Jesus and his death on the cross for you, is that not only do you become a friend of God, but you become a child of God. He both chooses you and wants you. He's not stuck with you, he sticks with you. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother because if he would go after you when you were running away from him, how much more can you be convinced that he will be with you forever now that you're his child? He both wanted you, sticks with you, and chose you. By faith in Christ, this is true for you. And if you've got that, then you understand the forgiveness that you received from the living God. And if you have the, for, that forgiveness, then you can forgive others, you can love others, you can speak truthfully to others. You know, I know, I know, I know that within this room, there are some of you who are going, I, I just, you don't understand, Jeff, I've been deeply hurt. No, I understand. So have I. You just gotta live long enough. It'll happen. People will turn on you, you'll be betrayed. Friendships won't always turn out like what I'm talking about. You're going like, Jeff, you're living in idealism. I know I am. But I also live in a realistic place. I want good friends, but I'll tell you what, I won't have them if I harbor a grudge, if I can't extend forgiveness, if I can't look to the cross. Do you know every one of us from the beginning of eternity has been put, what was put in you is a desire for justice. And when sin happens, either your own or someone else's against you, you have a cry for there to be an atoning sacrifice for that sin. And I'm telling you, if you don't get to the cross and see Jesus is the only one who can not only forgive sins, but by his wounds heal sin, heal the wounds of sin, then what you'll do is you'll either inflict self-pain because you need to find someone to pay for sin, or you'll just inflict other pain. You'll hate, you'll despise, you'll reject, you'll keep people at distance. And I'm just gonna tell you, if you wanna have real friendship, you gotta first of all know friendship with God through the cross of Jesus Christ, forgiving you of your sins, setting you free from your bitterness, healing the wounds of your past, and giving you the love of God to be a friend. There's no other way for it to happen. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that's Jesus Christ. There is a friend that knows you better than anyone else, and that's Jesus Christ. There is a friend who can draw out the deep, deep waters of a man or woman's soul, and that's Jesus Christ because he knows everything about you. And he is the almighty God and the wonderful counselor by his spirit in your life. There is a friend who will wound because it's by his wounds that we're healed. And he won't wound to hurt, he'll wound to help. And there's a God who will forgive you even if you have wounded others. Family, I want us to have this kind of friendship with one another. I'd like us to be known as the friendliest church around, and I'm not talking about great greeters. I'm talking about people who will look each other in the eye and say, I love you and I care about you enough to go after your heart. Maybe you're here today and you don't know what friendship with God is like, and I just want to invite you to come today, maybe afterward for prayer. Receive what Jesus has done for you on the cross so that you can know what friendship with God is like. You can be a companion with God. God could be with you and work in you. He's here for you. Maybe there's others you you going, I'm just afraid to step out in friendship again. It hurt too much. Can I encourage you to go to Jesus as the friend who sticks closer than a brother to help you with that? And maybe there's some of you just going, I've been in isolation, I don't know where to begin. First step God be my friend, God give me a godly friend. God, I want to make that known to others around me that I need a friend. Okay, if you're kind of gonna where do I go next? Start there. God, be my friend. God, give me a godly friend. God, I want to let it, that be known to people who can help me. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of us that we would not live in isolation, that we would not run back to back or shoulder to shoulder, but we would live face to face that we would draw out the deep waters of one another's hearts, that you'd give at least every man and woman here in this room at least one, if not two or three, good friends that stick close, draw out, are willing to wound, and offer forgiveness. Jesus, thank you that you are that number one perfect friend. I pray that everyone in the room would have you as that first friend so that we can be friends to others as well. Help us, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.